0: It's the Bougie Podcast, proudly sponsored by Cimarron Golf Club. Carson Wentz. Big blockbuster trade in the world of the NFL. Uh, February, not typically a time we see many big moves in the NFL world, but who doesn't take NFL news when we can get it? And most recently, Carson Wentz traded from the Philadelphia Eagles to the Indianapolis Colts. And before everyone tries to weigh in on it and say who won, who lost, let's just get one thing clear. Carson Wentz is not the quarterback he once was. He is a damaged player. He is an unsustainable player. I don't even know if he can stay healthy for a season. His shoulders messed up. He's got issues all over the place, not only in the locker room, but on the field. He can't seem to get along with the coaching staff. So are the Colts coming out on top in this scenario? I I don't think so at all, to be honest with you. Did they give up too much to get him? Jury is still out. Let's be real. This seems like one of those trades that it's going to take two or three years to really see who won or lost the trade, right? Eagles get a third-round pick and a second-round pick that could become one uh, first-round pick, and they lose a lot of his uh, salary cap, right? They shed the salary cap. That's what the biggest thing is. With a lot of these trades, the Jaguars did it with Nick Foles. Now the Eagles are doing it with Carson Wentz. Did they maybe pull a Jaguar move and give a a lackluster quarterback too much money? Absolutely. But are the Colts in position to take on that type of contract? No, not really. They are in position to win a championship. And when I look at it, Carson Wentz is not the type of quarterback that is going to be hoisting the Lombardi trophy anytime soon. Can I see him in a Colts jersey? Yeah. Would he look good in white and blue? Yeah. But this is no different than the Colts having Philip Rivers at 38 years old. I don't they go out and get Carson Wentz, they're paying him all this money, they have him on the hook for so many years. To me, it seems like they're too scared to maybe go uh, go after a rookie quarterback, which I think they maybe should do, rather they'd go after an established quarterback, an established I use lightly because I typically use that term to uh, I guess describe a good quarterback where Carson Wentz is a a veteran quarterback, right? Uh, he is not the quarterback that is going to be the difference maker for the Indianapolis Colts moving forward. In fact, I don't know if they got much better from this trade. I think they lost a lot of draft capital, which in this NFL world, draft capital is everything you get guys on rookie deals. We've seen it with Quentin Nelson. Quentin Nelson's going to be up for a contract soon. And the Colts go after a quarterback that had a hefty price tag lackluster talent on the field in recent years and a quarterback that maybe they are putting all their chips on Frank Reich to write the ship. I don't think it's going to happen. I think this was an absolutely terrible decision by the Colts, but I love it as a Jaguar fan. I think the Colts uh, are are going to struggle. I think he is not a great quarterback. He dealt with many issues offensively. He dealt with many issues in the coaching staff as well with the the Eagles. So I think there's going to be issues other places in Indianapolis. Uh, He's going to be going up against one of the weakest divisions in the AFC South. I think the Titans are now going to certainly own this division with the Jaguars being the second team, Texans and Colts, third and fourth. I don't think the Colts got much better as for the Eagles. They are putting all their chips in Jalen hurts is Jalen hurts the type of quarterback. That's going to take them to the promised land. I don't think so either. He went one and three as a starter. He's kind of a gimmicky quarterback. If you look at it, not much talent when it comes to throwing. He can hit wide open receivers sometimes, and it's going to take a perfect situation in Philadelphia for him to win. What's interesting is this was a roster three years ago that was prepared to be a Super Bowl roster for years to come. And man, oh man, did Philadelphia mismanage that situation. They are no longer in position to win a Super Bowl, no longer in position to compete in the playoffs. They're in the NFC East, the only division worse than the AFC South. Therefore, I think they do have a chance to potentially get into the playoffs simply by only needing to win seven or eight games to get into the playoffs. Uh, Devin, come in here real quick. Devin, let's bring you in. Philadelphia Eagle insider uh, Devin Walker is here. Thoughts on the trade? Thoughts on Carson Wentz leaving? Jalen Hurts taking over the reins of the Philadelphia Eagles? Um. I think it was a good trade for the Eagles fans because uh we feel like Carson Wentz, he did regress moving uh he did regress like than what he was in twenty seventeen. Uh 2017, Carson Wentz, if, we, if he was like kept playing like how he was, then we if we know we have like three Super Bowls by now. But uh I think Jalen Hurts is gonna be a is gonna be very good for us. Uh he's a young kid, uh got a got a good heart. He definitely knows how to play football, so that's what we definitely, that's what we need in Philly, and he got that Philly toughness. There he goes. Hey, he's got the Philly toughness, and we all know Philadelphia has some of the harshest media in all of sports. He's going to have to deal with that and the fans as well, and uh, God willing, for his sake, I hope uh, Jalen Hurts doesn't start the season off poorly or else there's going to be rumors of different players coming in to play quarterback. Other thing to mention about Carson Wentz when it comes down to it, you talk about the regression. Is that something that he was never going to be able to come back from in Philadelphia? I think so. I think a lot of times in the age of social media with the current landscape of the the media in general, I think sometimes a change of scenery is what helps a lot of players. We've seen it all over the league. And I think that might be the one saving grace for uh, Carson Wentz going to Indianapolis, getting out of Philadelphia, kind of a fresh start, not like he's getting drafted. He does have NFL experience. But it is time for him to move on, and the Eagles and Colts agreed on that. Frank Reich gets his quarterback back, and let's see what he can do with a young team, a young, talented team, a better offensive line, and maybe a team that is more suitable for his weaknesses, right? When you look at a quarterback's weaknesses, you want to make sure the pieces around that person are... Are going to build that person up, right? He kind of is fragile. He had 50 sacks last year, which is like NFL record. He missed four games. It was crazy. Just numbers and all that shit. So craziness, craziness. But, uh, you know, he's behind a better offensive line. He's got some pieces around him at the wide receiver and running back position. And then of course the defense for the Colts is, uh, one of the quietest, best defenses in the league. I'd say top 10, if not top five defenses in the league, if done right uh maybe if they say hey Carson go score us 20 points each game and we'll win that's kind of what the Jags did with Blake Bortles but I don't know if that's going to work out for him Deshaun Watson so much like the Eagles the Texans are also kind of floundering uh Deshaun Watson wants out JJ Watt wants out and for the longest time in Houston those were two cornerstones of that franchise and They got rid of DeAndre Hopkins, brought in David Johnson. What a shitty trade that was. Thank you, Texans, coming from Jaguar fans everywhere. Deshaun Watson wants out. So now the whole topic is where does he fit best? And to be honest with you, Deshaun Watson's the type of quarterback that fits best anywhere outside of maybe three or four locations. You're looking at the Houston Texans uh, kind of losing a lot of talent, obviously. The Kansas City Chiefs are maybe a team that wouldn't go after him or definitely a team that wouldn't go after him. You're looking at the Green Bay Packers wouldn't go after him. Any team that already has a young or experienced quarterback already operating at a high level. So that leaves a lot of teams out there. So you look at cap space and you look at other pieces around him. I've seen his name tied a lot to the Carolina Panthers. I think this would be a really good fit for him. And like I said about Carson Wentz, I can see Deshaun Watson in a Carolina Panthers uniform. I've heard things about the New York Jets wanting Deshaun Watson as well. For Deshaun Watson's sake, the New York Jets are not the team for him to go and prosper. The New York Jets are a team that are rebuilding. You go there pretty much in place of them drafting a quarterback number two overall. That team no longer has draft capital. To uh, build around you. So if you're Deshaun Watson and they say, "Yeah, come play in New York," going to trade a few draft picks for you. How does that make you feel as a quarterback? Not very good, I wouldn't imagine. You want draft capital that way the team can build around you. That was his problem in Houston. He wasn't too confident the team would be building around him, and that proved so. We've seen team regression from Deshaun Watson while he has performed at a high level. So a third team you look at is the Miami Dolphins. We've talked about it previously here on the Puji Podcast the Miami Dolphins would be a good fit. The Dolphins can send Tua to to Houston and uh, maybe a draft pick or two, but I think you bring Deshaun Watson in. Both a minority GM and head coach there in Miami. I think this would be a great fit for him from that stance, uh, kind of taking a stance on minority-majority team within the NFL. I think that would be a great move for Deshaun Watson. Going to Miami, great weather as well. No dome uh, like they had in Houston, but hey, don't really need it too often in Miami. You got great weather down there 11 out of the 12 months of the year. Miami Dolphins is a great fit. So I'm looking at Carolina. I'm looking at New York Jets and I'm looking at the Dolphins. I think Dolphins and the Carolina Panthers are the best fit from him for him based on the pieces that they already have in place. And I guess not having to give up too much draft capital when you're Deshaun Watson. Like I said, you want to make sure the team you go to has draft capital to build young talent around you. Both those teams have that draft capital. Trevor Lawrence. It's draft season. Anytime after the Super Bowl, it is draft season in the NFL. And I am sick and tired of these analysts and these talking heads and these journalists trying to paint us this pretty picture as to why Trevor Lawrence is not the number one quarterback in this draft. In fact, earlier today, I heard Ryan Clark talking about, oh, Trevor Lawrence isn't the guy because he lost to uh, Al- he lost to Alabama. He lost to Ohio State. Everybody loses to those programs. Why not Trevor Lawrence for that? He's had like two losses in his whole career. One was to Alabama national champions. One was to Ohio State who went on to lose in the national championship. This is not Zach Wilson losing to Coastal Carolina on a teal field. This is in the biggest moments losing big games against fantastic programs. Did he ever slip? No. Was there tight games? Yes. There's always going to be tight games, but he came out on top in those games. He's a proven winner, and he is by far the best quarterback in the draft from a mobility standpoint, from a technical standpoint. He's got the mechanics to match it, the height to match it. He is the prototype quarterback, and, of course, I'm extremely biased being a Jaguar fan, but the question keeps coming up. Does it frustrate Jags fans that other teams have Trevor Lawrence as the second quarterback to Zach Wilson? No, not really. Because if I was a team like the Jets or the Dolphins drafting behind the Jags, why would I grade the quarterback I'm not going to get higher than the quarterback I could potentially get? Right. It's a feel good thing for your fans. You want to make sure Zach Wilson's graded higher than him. You want to make sure you're painting Justin Fields in a good light and you want to make sure Trey Lance is getting enough credit as well. That way, when you draft those guys your fan base is already built into the fact that that's the guy for your team. I don't have any problem with this whole grading system, whatever team's doing this and that. And I know there's professional scouts that go out and grade and do that. And I'd like to think that there's a little bit of bias taken out of it. But let's be real, there's not. These teams, they want to make sure the quarterback they're going out to get is ranked high enough within their organization for their fans to feel good about themselves when that player gets drafted. Justin Fields, in no draft ever would be ranked second to guys like Zach Wilson out of BYU, Justin Fields who's been a great quarterback at Ohio State and Trey Lance out of North Dakota State. I it's there's 3 months between the Super Bowl or really 2 months between the Super Bowl and the draft. This is strictly journalism. This is strictly made for television type shit and I'm tired of it. However, because I understand it has to be done, it will be done. Trevor Lawrence is, without a doubt, the number one quarterback in this draft, and no one should question that. Ben Roethlisberger. So what is the future of Big Ben in Pittsburgh? It doesn't look bright. It does not look bright. Anytime you have a player coming out sacrificing his own salary, that's not a hot start. The team has not committed to him long-term. $42.1 million salary cap hit. For a guy that is on his last leg, literally on his last leg, he cannot stay healthy, is not the type of situation you want to put your team in. Pouncey just retired. The uh, The Steelers seem to be more concerned about social media than the product on the field. And Big Ben, I don't think, wants any part of that. Does he want to stay in Pittsburgh? Yeah, maybe he has a little bit of a complacency complex with him right now since he's been there his whole career. Does he want to go somewhere else? I don't know. I can't answer that. I can't call him. I can't text him. But what I do know is that at the end of the day, the best interest of the Pittsburgh Steelers is to get rid of big Ben. Is he a good player? Yes. Is he a 10 win quarterback? Yes. But is he the quarterback that the Pittsburgh Steelers can say, this is the guy that's going to take us to the Super Bowl? now? I don't think so. You know, he had a few good years there where he was, uh, Actually, more than a few good years. He had about seven or eight years where he was dominating the AFC. He was up there with Peyton Manning. He was up there with Tom Brady, and it was always those three quarterbacks that were representing the AFC in the Super Bowl outside of Joe Flacco in the Ravens. Big Ben was a great quarterback. He is not going to turn into Tom Brady at 40 years old. He is only going to regress further from here. So, If I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm saying, hey, let's trade you, let's cut you. Unless he's willing to restructure his contract in a way that makes it as is as if he is being signed as a veteran quarterback backup. He will be starting, but for his salary cap of forty-two point one million dollars for that type of hit, you need to expect 13 or 14 wins out of Big Ben. And I simply do not see that happening for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Future for Big Ben is not looking bright in Pittsburgh at all. Where will he go? That's the next question. Will he retire? Possibly. But I think uh, at this moment, it's the best interest of both parties to part ways, see where he can go as a veteran, see what Pittsburgh can do. I don't think Mason Rudolph is the answer there. Maybe pick up Mac Jones, maybe pick up Kyle Trask and start building around a younger quarterback. Sometimes you just got to say, hell, it's time to move on from what we've known forever. So that might be what Pittsburgh is going to do. Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow just announced his retirement from baseball. And before I say major league baseball, let's be real. He never made it to that level. He, uh, capped off at triple a, he was in the Mets organization for four years. This would have been his fifth and he is officially out of baseball. Do I think it was a gimmick him getting into baseball? Yes. A little bit. Do I think he's a great athlete for being able to do both football and baseball? Yes. But let's be real on the spectrum of athletes that have done both football and baseball. Tim Tebow has to rank towards the bottom. Was he a top three quarterback in college? Yes. But how many of us look at our college days and say, that was my prime? A lot of us. That was the peak of our performance in multiple facets. And that was Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow was one of the best college quarterbacks, if not the best college quarterback in history, and a top three or five college player of all time. And sometimes when you're a player like that, you got to look back and say, hey, it's time for me to move past this, this experience as an athlete, time for me to continue my life As a journalist, an analyst, an author, whatever he wants to do, philanthropist, I think he does great things for the community, both domestic and internationally. But I think when it comes down to it, no tears are going to be shed that Tim Tebow is retiring from baseball. This was was coming. This was happening. The Mets are in a position to kind of build forward towards the future. Was Tim Tebow ever going to be the outfielder for a playoff-bound New York Mets team? No, let's be real. He had a few good at-bats. He was decent in the field, but if anything, he was he was a name for the organization to sell tickets by, jerseys, shirts, and shed a little bit of light on a shitty New York Mets organization for the last five years. That's what Tim Tebow did for them, and that's all he would have done for them if he stayed with the team. In an era of COVID, with him being on TV, SEC Network, ESPN, and elsewhere, I think this is the right move for Tim Tebow. You did your time. This wasn't a one-year thing. You did a great thing joining baseball four or five years, pursuing your passion. I think you're a great leader in the community. You're a great philanthropist, excuse me. But I think uh, you kind of saw the light that baseball was never actually your true calling at a major league level. Fernando Tatis. So the San Diego Padres are literally shitting on the rest of baseball, saying, now is our time to win. Manny Machado... Blake Snell, and now Fernando Tatis, 14-year contract, $340 million, absolutely absurd. So I want to use this time to tell anyone out there, if you feel bad for any upper management, any owner in any sport, anywhere that makes money off of TV revenue, gate receipts, or merchandise, stop feeling sorry. These owners can deal with not having fans, and this is the reason why. In an, in an era where so many people all over the country are struggling to make ends meet, the San Diego Padres pull out their checkbook and write Fernando Tatis a $340 million contract over 14 years and laugh in the face of the MLB. The MLB has a sa- soft salary cap. No punal, uh, penalty for going over it outside of paying some luxury taxes. But if you're an owner or you're a manager, GM, uh, the VP, operations guy with any of these teams, you look at that kind of contract and you say to yourself, this guy is going to pay us dividends on the back end with maybe a championship or two. His contract will pay for itself as far as what he will do for the city. And now the San Diego Padres, they're in a city that lost the san diego chargers i don't think the padres are ever going to leave san diego i don't want to say that at all the chargers move was more of a stadium issue not getting the funding from the city the padres are very much there to stay and to be honest with you i would not be surprised if they challenge the dodgers in the nl west or even push it to a one game playoff for the division but i think the dodgers are still the team to beat in the nl west does this move make them more competitive yes But let's be real. The Dodgers have built this type of talent up from the farm system, and the Padres have had to go out and actually sign these players before this Fernando Tatis contract. They went out and got Blake Snell. They went out and got Matt Kemp. They went out and got Manny Machado. And now they finally have a homegrown talent in Fernando Tatis, and they are opening up the checkbook for him. And this does not mean Tatis will be a Padre for 14 years. All this means is that down the road, another team will be taking on his contract In about five or six years, I'm pointing at you, New York Yankees or Los Angeles Dodgers. NBA All-Star Game. What in the world is the NBA doing? Adam Silver is highly regarded as possibly the best commissioner in all of professional sports. And to be honest with you, he is, in my mind, the best commissioner. What he has done for the game of basketball internationally. What he's done for the players as far as work-life balance and resting players and all this good shit that the players love him for. I think there's a reason for that, right? You look at how he's grown the sport from a revenue standpoint. The NBA is making more money now than they've ever made in the past. And we're looking at a time when no fans, minimal fans are able to enter the arena. But here we are, Adam Silver, making an extremely money-driven decision by holding the NBA All-Star Game in Atlanta. And the reason that I say that If he wasn't money-driven, this game would not be happening. How focused has the league been on not having COVID cases? They had a bubble in Disney for the teams last year to just have the playoffs. COVID has not gone anywhere. The pandemic has not gone anywhere. And you know what? Until vaccines are given out to everyone in in that city, the the pandemic is not going away. The NBA players, I'm not sure if they've received their vaccines yet. I highly doubt it based on how the... uh, Uh, CDC is kind of distributing those vaccines to older people. I don't think the NBA players have gotten their vaccines. You're having players from 28 different cities, 25 different cities, travel to one central location and leave in a few days afterward. If any one of those players gets COVID, the whole league is at risk of even finishing this season. There's no chance That this league is going to last if they have this all star game simply from a COVID standpoint. Not only that, these are not six men going to the all star game. These are not bench players, G league players going to the all star game. This is Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Jokic, all these top tier guys going to this game. And if they come back with COVID contact tracing at its finest. You got to go to 25 different cities and do tests on all these different teams and players are going to not be able to play in various cities and the schedule is going to get fucked up for lack of a better term. It's not going to be good. And to be honest, side note, no one really watches the NBA All-Star Game. Maybe this year they will simply because there might not be much more on TV regarding sports. Dunk contest is obviously where it's at. Skills contest is where it's out at. But how much have we sacrificed over the last year? I think the NBA could have sacrificed this game this season for the longevity of the 2021 season. Not a good move. A money grab by Adam Silver in the NBA. They want the sponsorship dollars. They want the TV revenue. And this is a money grab by one of the best commissioners in all of professional sports, Serena Williams. Early Saturday morning in Australia, late Friday night, or maybe it was early Sunday morning, late Saturday night in in Florida. I don't know what it was. I can't get my time zones right. Serena Williams, the greatest tennis player, female tennis player, trailblazer, revolutionizer of the game for African-Americans everywhere in the sport of tennis. Serena Williams goes up against Naomi Osaka, who is the up-and-coming young prodigy out of Japan. They've had a history. Osaka beat her twice. Williams got the best of her once, and the 39-year-old Serena Williams could not outlast Naomi Osaka in two sets Naomi Osaka wins pretty easily if you ask me in Australia and Osaka will go on to play Brady who is an American in the finals on Saturday a sad ending to what has been a great career for Serena Williams and I say that to say this I think this is the end of Serena Williams has this loss changed her legacy at all no She's a lot like Tiger Woods in the fact that whatever they do from this point in their career on will not impact what they've done for the last two decades. She has been a tremendous tennis player, the best tennis player in the sport over the last two decades. What she did will not be forgotten. Her losses to Osaka will not be tarn will not tarnish her legacy. It's just a sad, sad way to see her go out. Will she get to twenty four Grand Slams? Jury is still out. Does she have the fire to continue playing? I don't think so. I think she had a little bit of juice left in the tank. That's what we've seen from her over the last year since she's had her child. But I think now might be the time for her to hang up the racket, put those tennis shoes away, become a mother, full-time mother, focus on her family. And I think that's coming from her mind, not my mouth. I think that's what's going on for Serena Williams. But she is a very good ambassador for the sport. She got me to tune in and watch that match As bad as it was, I watched the whole match, and it was not Osaka drawing me to the TV. It was Serena Williams, who has been a star in tennis for the last two decades. Farewell to Serena Williams. How can I be the man when you're the man? How can I be the man when you're the man? How can I be the man when you're the man?